We are live. Welcome to the Carl Vibe Show and podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you're here, I am with the esteemed James Keenan. I am really excited to have him here on the show. Uh, I saw him a little bit up at Phenomicon up in Bernal, Utah, uh, which is a, a hot spot of the paranormal for UFOs, skinwalkers with Skinwalker Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch, and a whole plethora of strange ancient mysteries and history from ancient petroglyphs to carvings, pictographs, uh, UFO sightings, all sorts of strange stuff, not only throughout the basin, but throughout the entire region, all throughout Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and the whole area. And James has become an expert and an author of many, not only fictional books to introduce true stories in a uh, digestible manner to young adults and to youth, but now he's also releasing, or maybe already is has released, a new work uh, that isn't fiction, but covers a lot of his life work and history and adventures. So without further ado, we're going to bring aboard the one and only James Keenan. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, tonight, James. It's a, such a pleasure to have you here. I consider you like a tremendous expert on this topic with everything that I'm fascinated with as well. So how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Carl. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So you've written us several uh, books and everything, but, uh, you know, everybody has sort of experiences in their life that got them into this topic or maybe propelled them into it, whether they like it or not. I know that's the case for me. I started out just sort of interested in the paranormal, interested in UFOs growing up as a kid and watching movies. But when things happen to you growing up, you have to wrap your head around that. So I wanted to ask you, James, have you had anything in your experience? I know you are you were formerly a uh, police officer. Have you had anything in your life that sort of hooked you in the paranormal or uh, the phenomenon with uh, with all of this to where now you've made it a big part of your life? Sure. So uh, right from the get-go, uh, I drowned uh, around the age of two. I had an NDE and uh, it was I, I was gone for about eight to ten minutes. So it wasn't just a short time. And uh, since that age of two, I've had like this perfect memory, uh, almost like an adult where I just remember everything. And hmm. uh, I had soon after that uh, an experience with uh, i guess what you would consider maybe a shadow personage um, and as a matter of fact my very first book is called dark shadows and catastrophe uh, because i like, like you said i was in law enforcement and private investigation and i felt it was better to write fiction and, and kind of introduce you know parts of what had occurred in my real life uh, into that fictional work but so i was always open to uh, the, I guess the unexplainable. Uh, however, you know, uh, I, I very science-based um, most of the time, but I've recognized from an early age that there's this huge possibility that our ancient historical past, especially a lot that's been lost, the ancestors had the same occurrences happening to them and it seems to have been documented and at certain periods in uh, mankind's uh, timeline, it seems to have been more active than at others. And then obviously, like you had said in the opening in certain locations, more so than uh, other spots. So 
after my career, uh, 24 years of investigating, you know, whether it was civil or criminal, I wanted to put to good use my degrees in uh, anthropology, archaeology, and all, all this history that I had learned. And I wasn't, uh, you know, feeling that it was quite right, that there were a lot of parts missing and that what we were being told seemed to be someone else's uh, timeline or what they wanted us to know, not really everything that had occurred. And like a, nar a narrative. Was, exactly, their narrative. And the more and more data that I would collect, uh, the more locations I would go to. And, and when I go to locations, you know, a lot of people say, oh, they went to here and there. And, and it, you see the photos, it looks like they're on vacation and they're taking pictures next to stuff and that's it. But I wanted to collect, uh, you know, petroglyphs, pictographs, hieroglyphs, database them, store them, try to find uh, commonality between them, even though they're throughout the world. Uh, as I got into this more, I brought along more technology, ground penetrating radar, 3D ground imaging systems, deep metal detection units, uh, long distance radar to collect non-evasive data of what was underground. So like I could go to a pyramid, uh, which I do, I go to many in Mexico, and I'm standing there and the 3D ground imaging system I have is attached to my leg underneath my pants. So security, nobody knows I have it and I'm getting these amazing underground images of what's really there. And mm -hmm. some of them are pretty shocking. You know, you're talking about metal objects that are huge, open cavities, and they're saying, oh, there's nothing there, but you know, sure as heck looks like that in the data. Uh, right. And then uh, I use vector magnetometers to do magnetic readings. And, and that was a lot of what took place when I was on Skinwalker Ranch that everybody saw uh, in season two of uh, the secret of Skinwalker Ranch. So I've come to the come to terms that the unexplainable, this ancient uh, his, history that's been lost, major world ca catastrophic events, all melt together you, you know you talk about uh, oral traditions from around the world and things that aren't supposed to exist that i believe really did exist and i'm open to that but there's a lot of people that want the scientific data so what i like to do is i like to provide both and uh like you talked about my children's series i wanted to introduce ufology cryptozoology uh, an ancient history and Native American oral tradition to children uh, at a, an early age. So I, I shot for around 10 to 14 years of age. But a lot of what are in these uh, three books in the series is a lot of uh, the truth, reality. Uh, it, when you're reading it, you'll you'll immediately recognize very specific locations on Skinwalker Ranch or elsewhere on the basin or uh, you know, around Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado, you know, all kinds of things like that. So that was where I, I, what, where I was going with it and wanted to do, and it seemed to work out well. Yeah, that's really cool. You've taken it along as I can relate to you a lot, like the passion sort of growing and growing and the quest to understand things that have occurred in your own life and some of those uh, incidents you look around you not only to, you know, what are the people that are supposed to know this? What do they know now? And then you run into that 
uh, well, they, if they do know stuff, it seems like there's a lot that they're hiding. So then you go into the past and you start digging through history and you see a lot of the cover-up going on there, interesting things like that, but you start to thread it together a little bit. But when it really uh, pieces together and why I love your work is when you actually get out there and do it. Like when I get out from behind the computer and from behind the books, I get caught up in the energy of what I'm studying and reading. And I realize this stuff is all right around me. I live like right here. And it's just amazing to go uh, firsthand and see it because even just right here by my house down here in St. George, Utah, when I go to the like Anasazi Ridge petroglyphs here, the pictures that they show online are usually just like of a goat or a few basic petroglyphs. But when you go up there, there's carvings of big ant people and strange things that look like uh, acorn shaped craft with figurines inside of it, like people inside and they come out and uh, strange insect looking figures with like swirling portals in their hand. And, and you wonder how can they carve these intricate circles so well, but then they're carving square heads on the people with horns and it's so strange, you know? And so as you go, whether you look at it in the past or at the governmental level or, or anything, it's uh it's mind boggling, but you, you mentioned, I want to skip back just a little bit. You mentioned that you had an NDE that kind of uh, kicked all of this off a near death experience. Uh, did something happen during that near death experience that you don't mind sharing that maybe sparked your curiosity that has helped fuel a lot of this for you? Yeah, so uh, th there was, uh, there's other places after this life. And uh, I always tell people it's extremely difficult to explain because none of the senses that we're used to are used there. And much of what I hear people say they've seen uh, when they've had an NDE or in the afterlife, that's not what I uh what happened to me, uh, hmm. you know, I didn't, you don't see light. There is no need. There's no light. You're not using that type of senses. And, uh, I, I, I don't, I like to talk about it more, uh, to one individual or two individuals at a time, because I know for a lot sure. of people, it treads on their religious beliefs. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that everybody has the right to believe in what they, you know, want to believe. And I don't ever try to, change that. Um, I, I just relay what occurred to me. And I still feel like it opened up maybe different uh, types of senses that uh, I've kept yeah. throughout life. And uh, it, it absolutely helps. Um, you know, like I said, I, I try to stay in the scientific aspect, but that's not everything. Uh, there, there's uh, a lot more to life than science. It, it's not the answer for everything. And, you know, just think about the word paranormal. It, it's just something that isn't in the norm that we have yet to understand. And, you know, science fiction 50, 60 years ago is science today. So as time, you know, goes on, how much of that paranormal today is just going to be, you know, reality and known science in 50 more years or even less with the way that technology is speeding up now? Yeah, it makes you wonder if what everybody is understanding is it's different dimensions in reality or 
uh, time overlaps in the multiverse or different things like that, if it's all interrelated to what we uh, relate to in this as the afterlife or this spirit realm or, or where these other uh, realities may rub up against our reality. Not, it's not so clear cut as we may like it to be, you know, and I've grown up uh, with different experiences as well. I didn't have a near death experience, but I did have a really bad uh, kidney infection one time when I was a freshman in high school where I had a temperature over like 104 and, and started seeing, sort of like interdimensionally, like you said, sort of uh, opened up perceptions and uh, you could call it hallucinogenic experience, but it did open my mind as well to understand that maybe there are different realities or perceptions that are beyond just our physical ones that we're born into this world with, with our physical hardware, with our eyes and our five senses they are so limited. And uh, I almost wonder if these in the ancient times or in, in certain places that there's like these hot spots or energetic anomalies where that gets amplified either by the geology or when you walk into it, your natural abilities are sort of peaked when you go into certain areas. Um, but uh, yeah, when, so when I heard a story one time that you told where you, when you were a police officer, that was very paranormal and very strange that also opened your <laughs> eyes. I don't, I would love to hear that because when I had the kidney infection, what I saw was uh, faces and like clown figures in the ceiling that were moving and, and sh- shape shifting around in the, in the ceiling, like uh, froths of bubbles in the ceiling above my head. And then a figure walked into the room and, really scared me and and things like that. But uh, why don't you tell your story, James, about what happened to you and you were on the force? Sure. Uh, So it was uh, night, uh, we were on night shift and there was a domestic uh, disturbance call. And uh, my partner and I, uh, my partner had been there more often than I had. Uh, It was a family uh, and the husband and wife were just constantly fighting and it it was getting to the point where it was going to more than likely turned physical. Um, you know, it looked like they were probably on the verge of divorce. And so my partner was just sick and tired of coming to this house. Uh, so we went there, the husband lets us in. And my partner tells them, I want everybody in the house into the living room right now. So the husband called, the wife came, the kids came, they sat down on the couch. I stayed at the front door. My partner was about 12 feet in front of me, uh, right at the living room, so I could keep an eye on him. The reason I stopped at the front door is because directly to the left was a staircase that leads up to the second floor. So uh, I just wanted to make sure, you know, that nobody, you know, came in or came down. And so the father said that everybody was there. And he starts, uh, my partner starts talking to them and telling them, hey, this has got to stop. We're going to just going to go ahead and arrest both of you. And the kids are going to be going to CPS, uh, to Child Protective Services. Mm. The three kids were, I think, all teenagers, probably, well, probably between 12 and 15, 16, maybe. And uh, he's talking to them. And then you hear upstairs somebody just, uh, you know, F you. And, and I mean, it was loud. And I looked upstairs and, and it was the, the hallway. You could see it was probably about 12 steps upward and it was pretty dark. And 
my partner is going to ask the husband a question. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to ask him who else is in the house. And then you just hear a couple people go, get the F out of the house, you know, F you get out. Hmm. And my partner starts telling the dad, he said, I told you, I want everybody in the house down here now. And then it's, you start hearing a uh, more than a, a crowd. It was a large crowd upstairs. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? Um, I had even, I, I think at that point, uh, he, he, um, tells him, he goes, what's going on upstairs? And the, and the dad goes, I, I can't explain it to you, uh, but everybody is here. And then it gets really loud and, and it's just, you know, get the F out, you know, there's, uh, it, it gets bad. And it sounds like a lot of people uh, hmm. to the point where um, I, I told my partner, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go up. I pull out uh, my light. I'm flashing it up there. I don't see anyone. I, you can't uh, feel movement, you know, you would expect there to have been a, a lot of movement of the house with so many people. And I'm going up the stairs. And as you're entering the hallway, the, this uh, house was probably built in the early 1980s where they had that faux wood paneling, you know, yeah. on it. And uh, it has all the, the tr like the tree designs, the ovals and everything in there. And, I get to the top stairs and, and it's pretty loud. I mean, to the, to the point where I'm wondering where the hell all these people are. And my partner, I guess, lost track of me because I crossed into the, into the hallway and I could hear him calling for backup. And mm -hmm. as I'm walking, I start seeing movement and I'm like, well, what the heck? And I flashed the flashlight uh, to the left of me on the wall. And there's hundreds and hundreds of faces uh, in the wall, in the faux wood. And they're moving and watching and screaming and, and shouting and just yelling all these vulgarities. And I called down. I said, you need to get up here right now. And he pulled out his weapon because he thought I was there was a confrontation taking place. And uh, mm. I think he even, if I remember, he may have requested for, uh, to clear the air for emergency traffic. And he comes running up and he's like, what, what's going on? And I said, look around. And he goes, what do you mean? And he he's, looks at the panels that I'm showing and he's like, he was a very religious individual and he turned white um, yeah. and he backed down uh, to the like two or three steps down to where he almost fell backwards. And uh, I, I told him, I, I said, hold on. At that time, uh, you could hear two units uh, responding code three, uh, light, uh, lights and siren to the location. They park the vehicles. I'm backed up uh, to where he is too. The two, the officers, I, I think it was three officers. It was a two man unit and one man as they're coming through the door, everything just stops. Hmm. And, uh, you know, to this day, um, I, I felt that there was just so much negative energy that it released something in that household. And, you know, we had to quickly, you know, 
cancel emergency traffic. We said that there was uh, television on upstairs that had a program we thought, you know, to get the other the other guys out of the house. Ah. And uh, after they left, we talked to the family. We told them, you know, there's you really have to figure this out because I we I wouldn't even know how to help you partner wouldn't know how to help you my partner didn't want to ever come back he told him this is it yeah and i mean it, it was just an experience that um you, you know as a uh, as a police officer you come across a lot of strange things and that was obviously right up there is just one of the most right. bizarre incidents that um i've had and uh it's it, it, I put it into the book even uh, you know the, the main mm. character uh, lived through that and all that into my first book because it was the only way that I could have told that story you know years ago yeah that's amazing so you actually went upstairs and saw in the in the patterns of the wood grain on the wood paneling contorted faces in the pattern and they were moving and actually yelling and screaming vulgarities at you like the wall itself was somehow conscious or alive in some strange way or your perceptions was seeing it that way with whatever energy was going on in the room uh that's just bizarre man yeah yeah all the ovals everything had faces at that point and then wow. uh you know when the other units got there everything stopped it was just the, and it wasn't real wood paneling. It was that faux wood uh, right. that stuff that, you know, they used to put in the hallways or on the walls back in the seventies and eighties. Right. Hopefully right. they don't use it anymore. <laughs> it's so fascinating, you know, cause you, then you have to somehow wonder, you know, how does stuff like that and these types of experiences tie into like our ancient history throughout time? Is that, it was different, similar sorts of things in a different way happening. Uh, and is that what they were drawing on the walls? And so, James, was that incident and others like that, did that propel you into trying to understand it and research the phenomenon in our ancient history? Or uh, what was it that got you into kind of the petroglyphs and the Uintah Basin in, in specifically? Sure. Well, when you look at the the petroglyphs and the pictographs, um, most of the time, what do you see? You see normal daily life in them. You're going to see uh, their housing structures, uh, maize, corn is a, a big thing that you'll see a lot of. You see them playing musical instruments, dancing, animals uh, in their rituals. Uh, daily life they have their you'll see artifacts like pottery in the petroglyphs pictographs and that's what we should be seeing right that's what we would see what we put into our artwork now in certain cultures around the world this is completely missing or 95 96 97 percent of it is what we shouldn't be seeing and the normal daily life is missing. So for me, it wasn't as much as at first what was there, but, you know, what's not there that's really important because back in those days, they had to see it to what? To draw it or to carve it. Mm -hmm. So now 
in certain parts, especially ar around uh, northeastern Utah and then into southern Utah downward, you have these certain uh, cultures, the Fremont Barrier Canyon style, San Juan River, uh, which was, uh, you know, around basket maker uh, origination time period. Um, mostly Barrier Canyon style in Fremont, you have these very interesting petroglyphs of these large anthropomorphic figures that almost seem to be levitating without legs. They have uh, antenna or things coming out of the side of one ear, out of their heads. They're uh, going in and out of uh, these different shapes that now when you look at television or see certain uh, lab experiments take place at the universities, how plasma forms, these shapes mm. look a lot like plasma events in a laboratory. Uh, you know, it, it matches identical to what it would shape. So now you're starting to wonder, well, how did they know what a plasma event looks like? Um, so then you got to start taking like, into account, like the uh, the stickman figures that you that you see everywhere, standing like figure. this and with the arms up or down, always square, squared yep. off arms and legs under at the each night. Arm. And yep. then there's a dot under each arm and different anomalies. Yeah, and they look exactly like certain energetic plasma forms that uh, that emanate when you do certain experiments. Yeah, when you create magnetic anomalies and things, these whoop, these shapes appear. Yeah, right. Or, uh, you know, when Comet Sighting Spring uh, went past uh, Mars in 2014, uh, it came so close that it caused this massive plasma event to take shape, and it looked like a huge hourglass. Mm. And uh, that event was the most uh, meteors ever uh, recorded um, on any planet occurring. And this hourglass shape that formed, I mean, it was massive. And the comet was, the nucleus was only 0.3 miles across. And you see all these hourglass shapes in the petroglyphs with the stick man figure and all that. So for me, it confirmed that we were talking about some type of catastrophic event that was extraterrestrial in origin, uh, mm -hmm. possibly occurring in the sky that caused all types of other occurrences afterward. So, you know, you start wanting, well, I wanted to start tracking, you know, where were these in, and other people have done, there's been a lot of physicists that have hypotheses on these, you know, uh, events and they've tracked them. So it wasn't me reinventing the wheel, but uh, I was with my background in uh, anthropology and archaeology. I'm able to go more into the cultures that created them and try to match that with oral traditions, with, uh, you know, the groups and the tribes that were in those areas. And so let's take these, these events that we see, this rock art. Now let's start searching to see if we can find oral tradition uh, between the Native Americans that goes with the rock art and you start building this bigger picture. And, you know, when I was going uh, through UCSB and getting my degrees, 
um, you're taught that this is mythology, this is uh, folklore, this never occurred, this was their way of explaining things. And, you know, I kept scratching my head and I was like, it, something doesn't seem right. So um, I just, I, I never quite felt like we were getting the full picture. We were just getting what my professors, 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 professor taught them uh, right. with all this originating from a time in the 1700s or 1800s when they didn't have the technology that we have today that suddenly builds clarity on what we're seeing because we're actually able to reproduce these events at a smaller level in the lab. And when it matches 100% what you see in these petroglyphs, it makes for a pretty good case that what occurred in the distant past was a worldwide major catastrophic events. It wasn't just one that plunged us into dark ages multiple times, wiped out 99% of cultures and civilizations, including technology and the media or the data that stored their history. And the only thing left that would survive is what, you know, what medium would survive rocks, you know, that they're going to survive everything and what's going to survive uh, historically oral tradition. That's all that's going to survive. So I wanted to, be open-minded with what has occurred in my past. I wanted to be able to bring the science so that I could collect data and at least provide an alternative for people to look at and say, hey, you know what? Maybe because this can be repeated in the lab or it's repeatable data, um, maybe there is more to it than this just having been mythology or rituals or um, events taking place when they were under hallucinogenic drugs or something. And you can't even, even if something like that were used, who's not to say that that's not the way to enter some other reality or something that we're not capable of seeing with the senses that we have? but that it opens up maybe other aspects of uh, not just our brain, but uh, you know, whatever the soul is or our thought that our ability to think outside of our body, you know, that's the way to help open it or one of the ways to affect it. There's obviously other ways that I believe like our frequency and vibration changes, which don't require a ton of technology. You see lasers being used in all these devices and they're talking about the need for, um, you know, like a, a black hole energy to form a portal. But look at the Native Americans. They used instruments, music, and singing and, and a mindset to change the frequency. And think of the way that we operate at like 7.8 hertz. That's nothing. I mean, that's, that's what the earth, you know, resonates at. And maybe it's something as minute and tiny as that that's required to open up even a magnetic portal. 
if uh, additional energy around it uh, is available, or maybe this these alternate areas of gravity at certain parts of the planet mixed in with these light changes in frequency and vibration are necessary uh, to cause an origin or origination of some type of unexplainable event. Hmm. It's very possible because you see all around the world, not just in the Uintah Basin, uh, but you see out from there, clear down through here, across Nevada, through Arizona, all around the Grand Canyon. And then you go around the world uh, and across the United States into the mound build builder cultures. And like I said, the Fremont people, everywhere you go, we've got cities built over the top of ancient places and reservoirs filled up covering ancient cities and petroglyphs that tell a different story than what we've been taught in the public school. Uh, and as you go out and you look at it, it is vastly different. And the story that it tells, even all the way over when you look at the, uh, is it the, the Dogon tribe in Africa, uh, the petroglyphs right. there look just like so similar to the ones here by my house and the ones up in the Uintah Basin that it makes you uh, wonder, like they had to have all seen this up in the sky or there had to have been some sort of a phenomenon or energetic shift. Maybe the planet moved into a part of the solar system or the universe where all of the phenomenon was amplified as a whole, whereas now we're just experiencing it around localized hotspots where maybe during the ancient past there was that meteorite shower and now we just have the meteorite nuggets in those locations, whereas it was a whole field that was covering the solar system for a time. Uh, I don't know. It's very interesting, but it makes you wonder, uh, James, what do you think was going on back in that ancient time to where you have a few little carvings of goats and some grass over here and then huge murals of these giant, what look like insectoid people or extraterrestrial people all over the rock art? What do you think happened? Yeah, uh, like I said, there's certain locations. Uh, you know, the Uintah Basin. It, for me, I'm my hypothesis has changed to the point now where I believe that the Uintah Basin has a location that was where the ancients survived a major catastrophic event. Um, I believe there it wasn't just a single spot. There were multiple spots. One of those locations was where we have this origin story of Adam and Eve. And that was probably, you know, more towards the Middle East. And one was here in the Uintah Basin in northeastern Utah. Uh, in regards to, you know, there being goats on one petroglyph and then these these other anthropomorphic and zoomorphic figures elsewhere well something was occurring there uh maybe the area was more energetic like you said maybe there was a meteor comet or asteroid strike that had enough energetic energies to create something that we're just not yet aware of naturally um or some this part of the planet was facing where these energetic particles came from the middle of the galaxy and the energy allowed for whatever to shift vibrationally um, for that frequency to alter 
and I always tell people, I mean, just think about our bodies that were just vibrating so, you know, at such a slow level that our bodies are being held together like this. But if you were to somehow create a, a, a greater vibration by sending some type of energy at the body, you could just explode or fall apart. So that's capable of happening to anything, even rock. So when you see all these, like Amaru Muru, the Peruvian Stargate, or what looked to be the same type of recess in rocks up at Dry Fork Canyon with petroglyph symbols above it that look like a portal. You know, why is it that those people in the past, you know, they could have had far greater technology than we did um, and we're using this. And I always tell people that, you know, maybe Adam and Eve weren't the physicist and the biologist that survived. Maybe, you know, Adam was the guy that cleaned the schools at night and, you know, Eve worked at the grocery store and they just happened to be the ones that survived. So that technology was lost or, or how to you how to create it was lost. Um, there was certain technology that survived that they that people around the world were able to use until it broke down and they knew no longer knew how to fix it. They saw what great power it had. So now they started mimicking that by creating uh, things like, let's say there was a pyramid half a million years ago that, you know, had some type of uh, power supply system or whatever. And as it went on, they lost that knowledge of what it really was. And then, you know, 50 generations later, they built uh, what looked like a pyramid, but it didn't have the technology in it, but it's still ancient. So you're just, we have to, at some point, start piecing together just how far back in the past our ancient distant past goes. We have to be open-minded to that technology. If there was a great deluge, was is now at the bottom of the ocean or you know was ripped in, back into the mantle by the tectonic plates you know coming up and down and um and there's always one-offs we always discover these ancient artifacts that we have no idea what they are obviously there's one-offs here and there so it's just a matter of piecing it together. And obviously if we did that at a worldwide level, we'll never do it. So right. I focused in originally in Mexico. And what's interesting is what I was seeing in Mexico over the years led me up to the Uinta Basin in Northeastern Utah, because there's this major connection um, in oral tradition, in language, in petroglyphs, hieroglyphs, pictographs, um that everything i saw in mexico led me to believe that origin for the people in mexico even is northeastern utah hmm. do you think that's up around the uh the uinta is there a, a lake that was up there a crater lake uh that may have had yeah, ancient civilization and dwelling around there that was part of a vast ancient empire during the Aztec time, or how does that all connect? Well, Lake, uh, Lake Uinta was a mat. Well, it was actually two lakes that ended up connecting at some point. 
just a massive lake. And you're talking about 48 to 54 million years ago, but it, it shrunk and then it got large again and shrunk. And, and like you said, who knows what was here or how long it, it truly lasted because look at the amount of flora and fauna that have been found in the area. Look at the fossils yeah. that have been found. And giant sea turtles up there. It's like one of the only places turtle. in the world where it's you're clear up in the top of the mountains in the red rock sandstone desert and you have petrified giant fossils for giant sea turtles. It's super bizarre. Like uh, there had to have been some waterway prehistorically or anciently uh and who knows the sea travel that could have occurred all globally that was a lot more vast and and uh prolific than history tells us you know exactly so james you uh found this connection into the ancient past do you think it goes back into the I mean, you found stuff up at like Blind Frog Ranch and at Skinwalker Ranch and your own investigations that make this connection to like uh, ancient people coming through and, and different people coming up through the Uintah Basin, not only in ancient civilization inhabiting the land, but then lots of different people coming through who are up to all sorts of different things uh, in the area, sometimes looking for the ancient gold and then inhabiting it and fighting. And then you have the more modern legends of the, the Utes and the, and the curses at Skinwalker Ranch and everything. There's just so much that has seemed to have gone on up in that region. But that ancient connection with the petroglyphs is what always gets me because it feels like there is, like you said, an origin to the story that occurs up there in the basin. So do you feel like from what you found firsthand, uh, does that speak to an Aztec? connection and trade routes and uh, and a vast empire or or where do you or do you think it was like an extraterrestrial connection or both or so i'm not going to go into the extraterrestrial i i mean you, you know maybe that was origin millions and millions of years ago uh, but what i'm able to show uh through oral tradition and the petroglyphs and pictographs is that it looks like at some point we had what we would consider giants in the area. Um, mm. And it's interesting because there's stories by the Navajo who didn't come to that area. They came from the north. They got here later than uh, other bands and tribes. But their discussion about these uh, white giants known as the Starnake, they were miners. That's what they, they most know about them is they were miners. And they their tools um, made noise. So what does that signify? That it, was, it had to have been pneumatic. Uh, it had to have been electrical or, or something along that line. Hmm. And at some point these giants enslaved the lesser tribes and made them work for them in the mines what were they mining you know that that's a big question because uh you know there, there's so many stories about uh the gold that's in the uintas 
Uh, and then now at Blind Frog Ranch, uh, the amount of viridium that's being, that I've personally, uh, you know, checked with an XFR gun is amazing. But so from looking around and all that, I, I firmly believe that we're looking at a ancient site that more than likely was where not just the giants, but their enslaved humans survived a major catastrophic event. And it had to have taken a long period of time before they were able to come back up. And during this time, it looks, and now you're going into some of these stories of what you know as Kershenab you know, which is the, the ancient sacred mines, or you hear about the Rhodes mine with the, the Mormons or the Mormon mine. Mm -hmm. Well, supposedly there's this mine that's full of gold. But as you dive deeper into the history, it seems more like they entered somewhere underground and remember that I've tracked and I've shown uh, at a lot of presentations and on uh, other shows that there's this huge underground cavern system running east and west and north and south on the basin. And uh, I've even been underground probably down to a quarter mile until we ran into a huge sump, which is almost like an underground lake. So mm. we have all this underground system uh, and somewhere up in the above La Point in the Uintas, I firmly believe is what people call Kershenab, but I think it's uh, an ancient site where the ancients survived, uh, meaning the giants and humans. Uh, it seemed that it could have been this massive gold. And as they grew in population, they just kept mining that ore out smelting it and storing it in other locations. So they cached, C-A-C-H-E-D, cached the gold into other locations. Hmm. So now you talk to the other Native Americans and they say, well, Kershanab is uh, the walls are paved in gold. Well, it's not that they're paved in gold. It's that it's this huge gold nugget you can think of it as. So the walls are obviously gold. Now, Obviously, they stored uh, artifacts underground, and it's probably a storage site for um, data records of the past. And then you start talking to like uh, the Shoshone, the Sand Peak group, uh, you know, that uh, Chief Wakara was a part of, um, or the Timpanogo. And you hear that it was so sacred to them that they also buried their leaders and their gods in there as well. So we know who the leaders are, but who are their gods? Are the right. gods the giants? You know, and all the way down into Mexico, the giants were worshipped as gods, but at some point the humans revolted because they were being enslaved and they recognized it and they killed off the giants or the giants returned back to the stars. So that's an interesting, you know, take too. Why did they even add that? Unless maybe there were dirigibles, you know, that were being used back then. And, you know, if you saw somebody coming down in a hot air balloon or something of that nature, 
Um, where are they coming from? They're coming from space or the stars. So maybe they went back that way. Um, like I said, I believe that this area, because of the, the precious metals, um, maybe what caused the catastrophe, whether it was an asteroid or a meteor, uh, it, it's energetic enough to have caused uh, energies that still exist on the basin. Look at the way that the basin is formed. It looks like this, uh, like a huge satellite dish, you know? Yeah. Um, so maybe the way that it's geologically put together, it, it, it's just this coming together uh, of all these different possibilities all in one spot. And obviously you have a few of those around the world uh, for this to have occurred. But uh, so I'm a firm believer that this is a historical location that we're looking for. And then Kirshanab is where the great spirit dwells. Uh, and Toats, the god for what are now the Ute. Remember that Ute is a, a recent terminology for a bunch of bands and tribes that came together. Hmm. Uh, they believe in Toats. But when you look at Kirshanab, Kir is really ancient Gallic. It's Kareg. And Shinab is ancient Hebrew. And uh, Kareg means stone dwelling. And Shinab is guardians of the guardians of the doors. So put that together, you know. And <laughs> another interesting thing too, if you want to get into skinwalkers. So the skinwalkers up in northeastern Utah, I firmly believe, are a secret society that are protecting the underground systems. Okay, and they used. I I agree. I agree, James. I'm so glad that you said that. I haven't been brave enough to really say that, but there's there seems to be strange uh, other markings and things like that around in the area that allude to it being protective in nature. Uh, I don't know. That's 100%. just my opinion. I'm it's very fascinating. But go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that just like hit oh, a yeah. button for me that that's that is designed as a protective measure at some energetic level uh, and you've got symbols there that go not only in the ancient past, but almost like it's revisited even Masonic symbols in the area and around and it carries on and on. And yeah, it's very strange. And so almost like people that are in the know in the secret organization or, or something are revisiting to revamp or reconnect this phenomenon in order to protect whatever's there or access to whatever's there, whether it's a portal or, or a treasure cache or whatever it is, but there's something real that's going on there. Um, I mean, it's been studied by Bigelow and the, the government and everybody for a long time because there is something to this, but I didn't mean to interrupt you there. That just really got me excited that you said that. Sure. Uh, in ancient Hebrew, Ob, O-B, uh, in slang was their necromancers. And look what the skinwalkers are, the shapeshifters, very similar. But think about this. So the Navajo are the, the group that the Yinalushi, which we know as skinwalkers, come from. Supposedly, the Ute defeated the Navajo and they left the area. So tell me this. Why the hell would 
the yin al lushi that are these self-serving dark art witches that practice adish gash which is dark and sympathetic magic help the navajo who they absolutely hate they don't like their own kind why would they help them get back at the ute and junior hicks who spent 55 years studying everything up on the uinta basin was told that the Yinabalushi aren't at Skinwalker Ranch or even on Fort Duchesne. They're up in Dark Canyon, which Dark is Canyon. northwest 18 miles of Skinwalker Ranch. And guess where Dark Canyon is? It is right, right by Blind Frog next. Ranch. No, no. It's right next to the entrance of the largest underground system that you can enter at Pole Creek Sink. Really? Which is where the underground lakes are. And it goes all the way to where you just said, Blind Frog Ranch, which we know from satellites has at least 1.9 miles of not collapsed cavern systems at possibly the same level, quarter mile further down. Um, and think of maybe because those caverns are inundated with water, they're the ones that have survived. So if you pump that water out, you're going to collapse them too. But mm -hmm. there is Mosby Mountain, which has ice caves on it that we know of. We've been there. Uh, Mosby Sink is exactly a mile and a half directly north above Blind Frog Ranch. So you put this secret society in Dark Canyon where they can access the underground because they've been there for thousands of years guarding whatever is down there, whether it be technology, um, uh, ancient records, just a sacred site of the leaders and the gods that are buried there. And what better way than in the last 40, 30 or 40 years to introduce the skinwalkers in the Yinob Lushi to just scare the hell out of everybody that is in that area. Um, and, and that's not to say that other things don't take effect because there's a it's not a phenomenon. It's a lot of phenomena occurring. So you have to ask yourself another question. Is the energy there creating phenomena or is phenomena coming to the energy because it's attracted to it? Right. And that's a huge question that needs to be answered. And origin, I'm 100% sure, is underground because I, I can tell you there's stuff at least that I've uh, 3D ground imaged on the Mesa that's going to blow people's minds. And I'm, I'm just not quite ready to release that information yet. I want to do it in the near future. Um, I know of multiple cave entrances. Unfortunately, it's on Ute land, which you can't access. That more than likely, it's east of Skinwalker Ranch. So you enter there, you go under the Mesa. And what's there is deeper and then goes under uh, around Homestead 2, uh, around the Triangle. It's just a matter of finding the right access. Uh, just like in Blind Frog Ranch, they're always talking about um, needing to find a dry access entry to the cavern system. And you think about it, uh, I mean, other than the state of Utah, putting up a lot of barriers in regards to the creek that's right next to it, you would have to have a dry entry because if you pump that out, you're going to collapse that system. 
you know, right. more than likely it'll collapse. And then you're not, if there's an access to wherever Karg Shanab is, you've killed it. And I'm almost 100% convinced that Karg Shanab is not on Blind Frog Ranch, but it's possible. Remember how I told you they were caching the gold and other uh, metals when they were removing it, that there were multiple other sacred mines that Thomas and Caleb Rhodes talked about. Wakara talked about it, that Toat was guarding. Well, guess where one of those might be is on Blind Frog Ranch or just a bit north of Blind Frog Ranch. Hmm. That's so interesting. So, ah, so it, it would make sense that they would use this story of it being like a curse or something between uh, the Utes over the slavery and it, it'd be based upon revenge because that would be like another layer within the mythos in order to hide the fact that something is still there that's bigger than people expect, you know, and because if it is like a revenge thing, like, oh, well, these they were sold into slavery, so we're going to put a curse on the land, and now there's skinwalkers running around. But then why is that this thing they say, don't dig, don't ever dig on the land. Be careful about going and swimming on the lakes, uh, uh, Bottle Hollow Reservoir, you know, uh, the different legends about that. And it all has to do with stuff being under the ground. And it, it does make you wonder if there is an underground cave system and you don't only wonder you've scanned and seen it you know and you've been in some of these right. caves so you know better uh that there is something going on and it is connected to like a honeycomb lava tube system or something potentially that's partially sunken with an aquifer or they've tried to sink it with reservoirs accidentally has happened uh but uh that's so you think a lot of it is way deeper underground and a lot more interconnected than people realize so far or that they're saying. Correct. It, you know, it's interesting because uh, that new book, uh, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, I think came out, what, yesterday? Um, yeah, our, friend, by... our friends over at the Unidentified Celebrity Review, they just popped in the chat. They were just over there reviewing that book on their show earlier today. So shout out to those guys. Yeah, so... Uh, I, I mine's on its way. It'll be here tomorrow so I can read about it. But I want to tell you something that uh, Robert Bigelow didn't want anyone to know. I've shown it in my last two presentations. Um, I was given photographs of it from one of the Bass people that is tired of it not coming out. At Homestead 3 on the far west, the Ute were sneaking in at night, uh, and this stopped at 2016. It's never happened since Brandon has owned the ranch, but they were putting uh, freshly killed animals, their skins and skulls on the wooden poles out there. And sometimes it was like seven or eight at a time. Uh, and it was happening not every day, but it was happening off and on uh, for years. Hmm. So I uh, asked, uh, two uh, Native American elders that are uh, just a, a wealth of knowledge and they're always so helpful what they thought it could be. And they said there were three possibilities. Uh, possibility one, that Bigelow was the like the demonic devil himself and they wanted to keep him at bay and not allow that evil 
uh, onto the reservation. The second one was that something was released underground and they had to put these to lure it back onto the ranch and back underground. And the third possibility was there's something underground and they're going to say evil, but maybe it's energetic or negative or, or maybe there's a magnetic portal that allows a connection to somewhere else where those things that live there aren't good. Maybe their, their perception of being evil is really, they're just bad for us. Um, so they put the, those skins to keep them from coming up out of the ground. Hmm. Um, so that was just another thing that there, that, we have this underground connection again with uh, it was negative uh, while this was occurring. And I think it was over a six year period and the photos are amazing because uh, there's one of them. It was taken on top of Skinwalker Ridge and you could see like eight or nine freshly killed animal skins hanging there with blood dripping down the poles. So the Ute were obviously disturbed enough to chance going out there and doing this a lot over a six-year period so what happened you know did something happen that released something or something started occurring for those six years and so are we talking about something that's uh occurring cyclically like was it really at its peak from 1994 through 1998 and recently we're seeing this huge uptick again in unexplainable activity strangeness occurring so are we entering that period and is it in regards to something in the solar system in the galaxy or something occurring underground i'm i personally feel it's underground just because everything seems to be originating from what's under the uintah basin yeah and it seems like a paradox because you have the legends all based underground and have to do with people coming up out of the cave system or surviving this uh, catastrophe in ancient times. And then uh, with the help of giants or strange people that lived underground with them, but they're also related to being star people. And you get the same from the Grand Canyon all the way up, these same stories and all over the place uh, like that happened. Like, there's something not normal with these giants or with the uh, the something involved with the people at the time to where it, reality isn't just as straightforward as we take it today in our society, where these people were experiencing something completely different, whether they were seeing the plasma forms in the sky, maybe the planet was in a different energetic state or place in the solar system or, or galaxy at the time to where all of this was amped up. But it does seem like there is something migrating under the ground, some sort of entity or phenomenon that's responsible for so many legends. And maybe this thing migrates around the earth in different hot spots or portals or energetic places through these ley lines or something uh, energetically or tunnels through the earth. But it does seem like there's something that originates up there around Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch. And there's this pocket or underground system that even when you go like you said all the way down into mexico and out and around it's so strange that it all points back to utah <laughs> like it all right. goes up into this strange basin in utah like something happened there there was uh, an anomaly that occurred and then civilization sort of 
was reborn out from there or whatever right. it migrated occurred. outward. Yeah. Or whatever occurred was extra amplified up in that location. And so the residue of that is still amplified compared to our normal baseline of reality today. So when we go up there, we still experiencing that. So that's so fascinating that even the locals were sensing that when Bigelow started doing stuff, they start doing things to try and draw it back or keep it there. And it's all underground with these tunnel systems. So you've been there, you've looked underground, seen some of these cave systems yourself, you've actually found some things. So what, what are some of the stuff that you've found or seen in relating to these uh, cave systems and looking around on blind frog ranch and skinwalker ranch? Yeah. So uh, some of the 3d ground imaging shows, uh, what could only be not natural formations, but um, something had to create it, meaning they had to dig it out. And it looks like uh, rooms with a tunnel entrance. Uh, the other thing that was really interesting in June of this year, I was out at Blind Frog Ranch with Chris Bartell who worked for Bass for years as security at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, and with Dwayne Ollinger, the owner, well, uh, majority owner. And uh, I had a, a lot of tech out there and we were in one spot where we believe that there is a huge pull or this energy of Towats, the god uh, to the youth. Uh, hmm. and that's, that would take a couple hours just to talk about, uh, that recent, um, uh, finding and going into the Nahuatl, the Nahua connection, the Aztec connection, cause it's huge. But so I was there and I had a deep, uh, scan gold, uh, metal detection unit. And at about 11 inches below, I ended up finding a Spanish coin. I believe it was 18, 10 or 11. I, I turned it over to uh, Dwayne. Hmm. And uh, at first I was just going to throw it away because it looked like just, uh, you know, garbage metal. And Chris stopped me. Um, and Dwayne overnight cleaned it and cleaned it and cleaned it. It turns out to be a silver real, a Spanish real, uh, just before uh, Mexico won its independence from Spain. But so what does this tell us? Um, it tells us that there was some type of connection with the Spaniards or the Mexicans on Blind Frog Ranch. They were there. Uh, what they were doing there, there's multiple possibilities. Obviously, the easiest is they could have been trading with the indigenous people that lived there. Uh, but no less, here is the Spanish connection well before the LDS, the Mormons got there. Um, and it shows that it at least goes back to Spanish time. So now we have a possible connection between the Spanish uh, mining for gold or at least searching for, uh, you know, Kirshenab. They wouldn't have known. They may have known it as, uh, you know, Temoacan, which the Aztec would have called it. Uh, or other, they made, you know, seven golden cities and things of that nature too. But 
uh, Tamuan Khan is is real, really the reality of what the the Mexica would have told them, which were the Aztec at the time. But yeah, so you have this uh, amazing connection now to the property right in a spot that this summer I have to go back and do a little more research on, if if you know what I mean. So uh, I'll, I'll be spending several nights uh, on on the ranch uh, with the GPR system. Uh, see what we can, you know, possibly find. But yeah, so that was just an amazing connection. Uh, then I was able to dive deep into the petroglyphs. And guess what? Well, we found like the stick man in the petroglyphs, but it looks like it's an older petroglyph. And then they built the, and this was the Fremont culture. So we're talking about the year zero to about 1300 AD was that one petroglyph looks out of place for the rest and the ones around it look like people of large stature and they're regal in how they're acting so are we talking about white kingship of giants you know and, and why place it with this other petroglyph and that's right there at mcconkey ranch dry fork canyon i mean people visit it every day and they don't realize what they're looking at because they I have a database system that I've been putting together for dec well, a decade and a half. And then you follow it to, I've over the last 15 years come to believe that four symbols specifically mean a portal, an access portal for the indigenous people. Three of those four are found there uh, between Nine Mile Canyon and Dinosaur National monument and as you know no matter where you're standing if you're at nine mile canyon dinosaur or a skinwalker ranch and you're looking up in the sky you're going to see the same thing so now yeah. we have these connections as was this energy underground causing uap to form or come out of a portal or were they being attracted to the location. And then you, I think I sent you a, uh, a photo of one of my slides where it looks like this, yeah. uh, this ship has set, settled down on three legs and this anthropomorphic figure is coming out. And it looks like another figure is running through a tunnel underneath it, or maybe on a bridge. It's just really interesting. And that's at the daddy Canyon complex, uh, at Nine Mile Canyon um, between Price and uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And obviously there's a mountain system in between it that has petroglyphs all throughout it as well. It's part of the Uintah, the lower Uintahs. I'm uh, trying to get these pictures off of my phone that you actually sent me. I'm going to pull them up on screen for everybody to check them out really quick here. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things I've been up to that... Uh, the McConkie Ranch petroglyphs a couple of times. And the second time I was there, I didn't even notice the first time that some of those have six fingers on each hand. Six and fingers huge, and big feet. Huge feet and then square, like yep. square heads, big horns or whatever. And then you've got the name, the, uh, what is it? The, the, you said the Starnaki and you have. Starnaki. Uh, yep. I can't help it, but hear the name like Anunnaki, like a different derivative of that which we're all depicted as having horns and 
in, in their artwork in different ways too in a different culture and so it's so strange how it all seems like it tied together with some sort of a together. global phenomenon in ancient times but specifically up there in the basin um was a real hot spot where that interaction interaction between these giants and the people living there was in, intense to where they almost worshiped these giants for quite a time and then it seems almost like and this is kind of i don't know if you believe this or not but it almost seems like that relationship really descended and fell apart and maybe even turned into hunting and cannibalism at some point what what do you are your thoughts on all of that yeah so it absolutely turned uh so by remember that if let's say we start with the nephilim uh and then the nephilim turned into the amura which were the anakim uh, and the Ajiji, uh, as they mated with humans, they decreased in size. And, and think about the Anakim and Starnaki, they're very similar. You know, right. And were the Anakim part of the Adena culture, you know, out in Ohio, Missouri? Um, it, 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 it's possibility when you listen to other uh, Native American tribes and their oral tradition. But so at some point uh they are they turn into what the paiute know as the siteka and they called them the red-headed cannibal giants you hear about it at lovelock cave in right. uh, northern nevada and the paiute got all these tribes together and they supposedly exterminated the siteka uh, or they may have even uh some escaped and gone to Oregon where then they just died out. But so they decreased in size uh, as they mated more and more and became more homo sapien than giant or close to whatever Nephilim on Akeem. Um, but when you talk to some of the elders, they say what may have happened was the tribes may have got together and kind of fudged it a bit and said that they were cannibals to get them to fight and kill off the Siteka. But the Siteka, and you saw it at uh, Dry Fork Canyon with the Fremont, the earlier giants, they were definitely headhunters. I mean, they were taking heads. And right. that is shown throughout the petroglyphs. So could they have been cannibals? Absolutely. Um, but here's what's even more interesting is I went uh, to Reno and for four, three and a half days, went through John T. Reed's uh, boxes and boxes of notes and information and articles that he had donated when he died in 1943. And there was so much on the giants, it, it was incredible. But hmm. the giants, the Cite Cod, didn't go extinct until around 1760 or 1764. You're kidding me. So they were I, running around know? here even when there was modern people running around. Modern people. And, and remember, the Spaniards saw seven-foot-plus Native Americans walking around, and they had dark brown hair uh, and, and reddish-brown hair. Almost, so, like big, almost like Bigfoot, like the Cite Ka are still natives that are yeah. indigenous cave dwellers that are hiding in the underground networks or something. So 
let's see. We've got I've got these petroglyph uh, pictures that you sent here. We can go ahead and pull that up. This is the one that you said. Uh, it does look like some kind of a UAP or landing with things coming out of it. Is where? So is this one? Where's this one located, James? Uh, this is the Daddy Canyon complex at Nine Mile Canyon. What's interesting too is it looks like something is. Uh, resonating out of it or beaming out of it that they saw. And I'm not sure if that's a bridge or a tunnel system, but on the far right, uh, it looks like a little anthropomorphic figure running through it. So it's really interesting. You have like, uh, yeah, it looks almost like a craft here with landing gear, like a a tripod energy coming out of the side of it. It almost even looks like a figure sitting inside the cockpit with two eyes <laughs> here's the stick man one figure. of those is a bullet hole one of these is a bullet hole somebody used it as target practice oh people then you have so then see yeah. you have so you have here's a guy here's like his goat here's like the grass or something like normal figure and then they see this this is the ground almost like this is the mesa right. or the well, bedrock or something or a cave well, do you see right where you're at? Do you see the figure at the far right? It looks like it's running across it or through it right there. Yeah. Right here. Oh, right there. So it's like, is that a tunnel like somebody... system underground or is it a bridge? Right. And then what's interesting is you've, this is like a ledge, an overhang. And then under the overhang, like this could be a representative of a cave underground. You've got more going on. Like, uh, yeah. Who knows like how they would have seen that it's so fascinating and then we've i've got the picture of the uh the coin as well and i always tell people too carl obviously rock art is subjective only the artist knew what, what they were drawing but when you put so much in a in one location of all this interesting anthropomorphic and zoomorphic figures and are missing daily life. It, it just makes you have to think of the other good alternatives and possibilities of what they were uh, trying to keep in their historic data for future generations. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Of all the time that they had and the energy, you figure these are like uh primitive culture at certain levels, the time that they spend uh, spending their energy doing different things is important. And so the fact that they would spend so much time telling this story and what they would carve up there would be so anomalous like that. It's, it drives me kind of nuts that we don't quite understand what they were shouting at us all over the walls, you know, Uh, and we go ahead. And some of those figures are like five, six, seven, eight, nine feet in height. I mean, imagine what it took back then to carve this. Right. So this is, uh, let's see. It's going to show this coin again here. So this coin that you uh, found, this was found where now? Uh, on Blind Frog Ranch at a location that we believe may have a connection to Toats, which is the god uh, for the Ute. And this is a Spanish coin? 
it's a Spanish coin. A Span I think it's a half real. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then just uh, south of this whole region, what a lot of people don't understand is um, Sago Canyon, where you have these <laughs> anthropomorphic figures. And, and these kinds of figures are all over the place. There's some like this near my home as well. Mostly they look like this central figure here. Um, but yeah, it, it, you have to wonder what, what were they seeing? What were they experiencing? And then when you ask the natives, you ask the local indigenous people, their legends, they paint a totally different picture than our uh, American history books do about what was going on in this area. And uh, so why are they studying Skinwalker Ranch now? What does this have to do with what's going on today? So, yeah, James, what do you think is going on today? Do you think that the phenomenon is still active, that it's being guarded to this day by something maybe paranormal or interdimensional that we don't understand? What's your theory on all this? Yeah, so uh, like I said, I think it's cyclical. I think it has its ups and downs uh, energetically. And I think we're approaching one of those periods where it's uh, more active. And absolutely, there's something. I, I, I think whatever occurred naturally created an energy that allows for a lot of strangeness or unexplainable events to occur. And I, I don't think anybody has the answer in regards to is it the energy that creates the phenomena or is it the phenomena attracted to the energy and i don't know if we're ever going to have that answer i think the first thing you know while we work on our hypothesis and is to attempt to at least find what origin is uh, it's transient which makes it more difficult but are we at least able to identify an origin point and then maybe we can go from there as to trying to see if what it's doing or creating is repeatable um, obviously on secret of skinwalker ranch they're having repeatable events occur above the triangle which is fantastic because it's not one-offs that so much of the unexplainable always seems to be so uh, I'm a firm believer that probably one of the best places to look at is under the triangle, but not at a depth of 100 feet. We have to go a lot further down. And in order to access that depth, we really need to work on finding an entrance point. And I believe that entrance point is going to be up on the mesa or uh on the eastern portion that's the the ute tribal land um and you know i'm sure at some point they're gonna uh, show but there, there's a lot of cave entrances and caves up on the mesa that few people know about the uh freemasons the ninth cavalry which was a black regiment that was originally stationed at fort duchene like 98 percent of the black cavalry the ninth calf, they were all Freemasons. So much so that their 
white captain allowed for them to have a Mason Lodge, Masonic Lodge within the boundaries of the original fort. And up on just below Skinwalker Ridge is a uh, what looks to be an upside down compass and square with a circle within a circle at the very bottom. But what I showed people was in this 1556 book called uh, the De Re Metallica, which was written, I think his name was Agricola, uh, explaining mining techniques and everything about locating, finding mines and mining, that it is more likely a marker that somebody left and either was the Freemasons or it was an older society or people that had the same belief systems and knowledge that the Freemasons now carry. And that that petroglyph is actually going to show the entrance into the Mesa. Um, we just have to go there and look at the, and, and interpret the varas, uh, which is the distance and uh, because it could have been the Spaniards that left that or the Mexicans, uh, not just the Freemasons. And there's a good possibility that, I mean, you're looking, but I always say, well, why did the Freemasons put things upside down? They usually do things perfectly. And if it was, it was for a reason to mark something. So it's just a matter of uh, if they don't let me do it, hopefully they get the right people to really uh, take time out to study that and then start doing the right 3D ground imaging scans, surveying scans, uh, and hopefully finding that entrance. And then maybe we'll be able to get to what origin is at least. And then we can go from there as to maybe uh, advancing our uh, hypothesis on what uh, the phenomena is that's taking place there. Yeah, that's super fascinating. So is the Masonic symbol, it's usually a, the compass is above and the square is below pointed up. So this is, you're saying is an inverted symbol. So inverted, the, correct. The, com the compass is the down circle. and there's a circle going around it or is the circle cir the, like crossing? The through? circle within the circle is at the very bottom point of what would have been the square. So it's at the very bottom of the petroglyph. Is there anywhere on there? Is there a circle within a square? Uh, no, it's just a circle within a circle, circle just like NASA and the Freemasons and the Ute. Uh, that's an important symbol in Native American culture. So you have just yeah. all these interconnections, you right. know, so it has to have some type of origin that's the same. That's, that is fascinating because I've heard in other cultures that like the symbol of the circle within the square is symbolic of like dimensionality, meaning like heaven on earth. And then a circle within a circle would mean like a dwelling within earth or under earth, like uh, something within the earth. And or, then you have yeah, the upside. The yeah. And then upside down Masonic symbol would be like the compass uh, pointing down instead of onward to a new location. It's pointing right. down into the ground, is, underground. And this is all on Skinwalker Ranch on the ridge there. Yeah. Just uh, below right. the ridge. And it's, is it near the other petroglyphs within distance? The uh, ones that look like the Polaris and Big Dipper and the Mesa itself carved in the rocks? 
so i've never seen those and i'm i don't believe it's in the same location uh the the free the masonic looking symbol uh is above uh where uh homestead one is right now okay yeah which is kind of over to the east like you said on the the east side of the ranch right and i think the other petroglyph is farther to the west gotcha but man, yeah, the whole area, I had no idea. So there's cave systems that go not only underneath the mesa there, but you uh, theorize just based on your research and everything showing that there may be cave systems that go and interconnect all the way up to Dark Canyon and maybe through Blind Frog Ranch, all the way up uh, associated with the legends that go underneath these reservoirs and the history of the indigenous people talking about them surviving ancient times and then underground for long, long periods. We're not talking about a short time. We're talking about multi-generations possibly having to dwell underground and build entire cities. Everything that you see above ground, there might be even more beneath the ground. Uh, We don't even know. Uh, So it's fascinating. James, do you have any more plans to go back up there anytime soon to further this research and maybe uh, have permission to go look around further and, and what do you have going on there? Uh, so end of June and first couple of weeks of July, we have, uh, we have some plans <laughs> and it, we're going to be going to three locations. Um, what, what's interesting is those three locations. One of them is, uh, near blind frog ranch and the other two are in the high high uintah mountains and and i'm always fearful to give too much information because if it is a secret society i don't want them to know i'm coming (laughs) right yeah (laughs) and obviously i would love to uh to to do um some more studies on skinwalker ranch um, and, and just look, because at the magnetometer readings that I showed in episode six and seven, uh, it showed that underground system and there was that underground running water. They're all in a perfectly straight alignment uh, and it goes right up at 8.34 degrees. Guess where? Right to the entrance of Blind Frog Ranch. So this transient um, anomaly, it, it, if that's what it is, is, is sticking to uh, a specific uh, game plan. And I, I honest to goodness believe that we can at some point uh, track the origin, at least know where it's originating from. And then then they'll, that'll just open up a million other questions that need to be answered. Hopefully when you pop that open, it doesn't open up a portal and release something from another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have everybody trying to, give offerings to get this thing to go back underground. And maybe that's yeah. what was happening in ancient times with all these temples being built and sacrificial offerings saying, please go away. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, James, this is uh, really exciting. You've got a lot of really cool stuff going on. I, I'm thrilled that we have somebody who's able to go up and look at these locations. If you ever get the chance to take anybody with you, I vote that I want to go just hit me up. You've got my number. So I want to go look around. I would love to check it out. I'm really fascinated with how uh, whatever's going on there affects us as human beings, how it affects our own human 
abilities and our own perceptions and consciousness and what that says about us as humans and our own human potential because this phenomenon is connected with us it's connected with our history and who we are and our ancient past and where we're going and it's still there i think uh and so james i'm i'm really grateful that you're a part of all this and piecing it together and not just feeding us the same story that everybody likes to feed about our our past and what's going on with this phenomenon and trying to piece it all together. Uh, so James Keenan, any final words and then let everybody know where they can find you and find your books, which I have put the description down below for anybody that wants to check that out. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you're invited. If you want to come first week of July, <laughs> it's going to be a few days of uh, camping up in the Uintah mountains. I'm and, there. Uh, my books, <laughs> Yeah, my, my books can be found at uh, Barnes and Noble or on Amazon. Um, and I appreciate it. You have the the correct uh, Amazon address on there, the URL for it. So, yeah, I, you know, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Great. Thanks, everybody, for joining us in the chat on this uh, show on Carl Vibe today. And thanks, James, for joining us. Please go check out his books. Uh, let your kids read all of his kids' books. Check out his research and stay tuned and follow him. He does have a YouTube channel as well. You should go check out with a lot of really cool uh, stuff on it. So, James, thanks for joining us and everybody in the chat. And we'll see you guys all in the next one.